0: Death has come to your little town, sheriff. Evil dies tonight. Yes! Evil dies tonight. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. The blackest dies, the devil eyes. I guess everyone's entitled one good scare. Huh? Trick or treat. Motherfucker. Hello, my name is Austin Taurus, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast—the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by the host of the horror film podcast, Ladies and Ligaments. She's a prolific editor whose work includes the publications *Hear a Scream* and *Fangoria*. Please welcome my friend, Blaine Waterloo.
1: Hi, how are you? I'm so excited to be here. We're going to have a great time.
0: I completely agree. I'm excited that you are here with me because. We are talking about a movie I've wanted to talk about for a very long time because it's just simply iconic. A villain who makes you lime green jello, and you can't even admit it to yourself. Jennifer Check from Jennifer's Body.
1: Ah, oh, just an absolute legend.
0: Exactly. Before we get into before we get into Jennifer's Body, I'm gonna rephrase that. Before we uh, talk about Jennifer's <laughs> Body, it's uh, so did hard you- to put
1: together. <laughs> Yeah, I know <laughs> that's what she said. Damn
0: it. <laughs> I know. I set up I set us up for that. I, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> uh, when did you first become like a horror fan?
1: Oh gosh. Um, so that's a kind of a tougher question for a lot of horror fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> I grew up <laughs> I grew up in one of those houses where horror was everywhere. It was just constantly on, whether it was on the bookshelves, on the TV screen, or you know, just in general, familial abuse, as you would. So it yeah. uh it was always there, and it was a safe place as I grew up, and you know, didn't have a whole lot of options in terms of being allowed out of the house or anything like that. So I just dug into any horror movie I could find. There was a summer where it was almost exclusively horror, uh, Hammer horror. Apologize, oh. um, and it was it was just the most beautiful escape. I honestly have had the best time of my life in the worst times of my life watching horror.
0: Oh, that was beautifully said. So you mentioned the uh, hammer horror. I gotta ask, did you have a favorite growing up or during that summer? Oh
1: gosh, I think it was, um, is it the, uh, um, I, I apologize, I'm thinking of, I think it's Dracula's Daughter.
0: Hey guys, Austin souping in with an edit. We made a mistake here. We mentioned a hammer horror movie watched as Dracula's Daughter, But that's actually a universal film from 1931. The one we actually meant was 1971's Countess Dracula, which is actually a Hammer film. Now, please enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, okay. That's the one.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I can't believe I discovered that at like 19. One, I guess it's kind of a shame that I only discovered it at 19. But two, at 19, what an age to discover such a (laughs) queer film. And it was it was certainly formative, but it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, I think it's a little harder, especially with like the Hammer um, horror films, to find that at a younger age unless you grow grew up at the time where it was like playing on television, which right. I didn't. It wasn't playing on TV while I was growing up.
1: No, and we're, I, I think we're around the same age. Uh, but I think yeah, so. For me, it was it was on demand. Um, that was like the the height of on demand when it was just c- coming up and everything you could possibly want to watch was on there and you didn't really have to pay for most of it. So like all of this hammer or hammer horror content was available and it just blew my mind. I didn't know what to do with myself for that summer.
0: <laughs> I love that. Um uh, my first experience with Hammer Horror was in college. So I want to say it was in an actual class. We watched the initial Dracula with Christopher Lee.
1: Oh, um what a great time.
0: So I hope you don't feel as bad because I was also—I think I was older than 19 when I first saw it. Uh, first saw uh, my first Hammer horror film.
1: <laughs> that brings up a really good point. I think for horror fans specifically, we kind of create this weird criteria for ourselves and what makes us like a good horror fan. Or you know, for instance, me just saying right there, like I can't believe it was—I, you know, I didn't discover Hammer horror until I was 19. When in reality, there are grown-ass adults well i mean i'm an adult but you know (laughs) real adults in like their 50s and stuff um (laughs) who (laughs) who have never seen hammer horror have no desire but are like really into friday the 13th and they're still horror fans so i mean it really doesn't fucking matter and i apologize i don't know if i'm allowed to swear i should have asked
0: oh oh go right the fuck ahead it's fine (laughs) (laughs) thank you
1: but yeah it's weird how you know as horror fans we try to put ourselves in these boxes that just aren't necessary
0: especially because i think horror is such a diverse genre where
1: really
0: is. a lot of things can be horror and there are some people who are like you you go on twitter and you'll see arguments like alien isn't a horror movie <laughs> and it's like uh it's one of the My best what are you Christ. talking about <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs>
0: I mean, why are we arguing about what's horror? Because what's scary is subjective, you know. But also,
1: everything can be horror. Bambi, like, like in Scream Four. Yeah, thank you. What's your favorite scary movie? Bambi, like, it fits. (laughs) It's perfectly fine.
0: (laughs) You can make the argument for it, you know, especially for kids, because kids' horror is huge,
1: right? And for kids, like the whole world is horrifying. So you show them anything that could possibly trigger any sort of emotion. And that's horrifying. (laughs) The last unicorn. Are you kidding me? That tree freaked me (laughs) the fuck out.
0: And it's like sometimes like a horror movie doesn't have to be scary, but it's still a gateway, you know, like um, for me, Jurassic Park is my all time favorite movie. And that is what got me into horror. I'm sorry, but the velociraptors are scary.
1: Well, yes, they're, they're terrifying. I mean, if it evokes that fear or any sort of tension, I feel like it could easily be, you know, thrown into the horror category. Horror is such a slutty category. Anyone can get in. (laughs) I, and that's what I love so much about it. It's very inclusive and diverse.
0: Exactly. And, and I think you're like me, we don't have patience for gatekeepers. If it's horror, it's horror and we'll defend it
1: yeah exactly horror is horror is horror
0: exactly and i have no tolerance for bullying except if someone says aliens not a horror movie no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) that was mean i'm kidding (laughs) but uh sometimes you get what you're asking for i i think
1: yeah
0: (laughs) if you say something like that like you gotta know what you're saying i'm sorry
1: you might as well be ringing the dinner bell honestly
0: right like that's not even an argument (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's great that you picked Jennifer's body. All right. So I, my brain is a little weird. I just, I just made a connection between alien and Jennifer's body.
1: Tell me everything. Oh my God, Austin. I'm so excited. How can we connect these two?
0: So bear with me because my brain literally just did it. And I'm like, uh, what am I doing? But I (laughs) bear with me. They're both movies that deal with ownership of one's body, right? yeah, and they um, and I'm sorry, I was not prepared to talk about Alien today, but my brain oh, we're went here, there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you get two iconic female horror characters, one in Ellen Ripley, Queen, the other in Jennifer check, um other Queen, and <laughs> like, I know. Ripley's not the one that has her body, uh, let's say, possessed by the face hugger. I know that's not the right word, but for the sake of this connection, she's still in danger of having her body transformed, right? Right. And uh, there's a
1: lot of that autonomy um, in question in these movies. One of which, um, it, it, like, directly involves the villain and their own autonomy in Jennifer's body, and the other one kind of does a volleying of first it's these explorers who are exploring you know colonizing you could call it this other planet living beings that they have no knowledge of but they're going to take it back to their ship so there is kind of I guess oh gosh maybe we're just getting into the patriarchy at this point like (laughs) (laughs) um, because you know in Jennifer's body you've got This teenage girl, and she is basically being used by others. And finally, you know, she gets to flip it on its head, and she is now using people who once viewed her as uh, an object. Whereas in Alien, you definitely have that colonizer effect and the battle between what's right and what, I guess, furthers mankind. And it's just, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and and isn't hard just absolutely gorgeous? In that yes. we can draw these parallels, however <laughs> small, or what seems to be just out of left field.
0: This one's pretty out of left field. I'm gonna pat myself on the back <laughs> for this one, but like, and also, I think the the villains in these both of these films they are highly sexualized too. Jennifer Check. Obviously, is a character that's sexualized against her will, I think, or at least I might be conflating Megan Fox's real life experience with actually, the they're film. kind of similar. Yeah. And um, then, yeah. alien, like the xenomorph, is a literally a dickhead. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: by nature, the xenomorph is sexualized, but yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and that just adds another tangent that we could go on about the inherent, I guess, sexualization of horror.
0: Yeah, but that—that's that definitely really...
1: yeah another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, uh, I don't think we have enough time to tackle that. <laughs> that—that's got to be like a full essay. You know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but I'm curious, how? How old were you when you first saw Jennifer's Body?
1: So um, when it came out in 2009, I was 18 and I went to see it in theaters with a boyfriend and that was an experience. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that or no?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, this was a movie, I was so pumped for it. To me, it had all of the makings of being like a ginger Snaps, like just really angsty, grimy movie that I could sink my teeth in and feel some sort of connection and feel seen as like a teenage girl. So, of course, I went with my boyfriend at the time, and this movie had been marketed as the see Megan Fox in her sexy succubus form. And, you know, it's going to be just the hottest movie anybody's ever seen. And it was really marketed to teenage boys and younger men at the time, as opposed to the general audience and the horror, uh, you know, genre. So it was just a really cool experience. Well, I don't want to call it cool. Cause my boyfriend didn't get the message at the end of it. it mm. His reaction was pretty much what was mainstream, uh, at that time, which was, that was a stupid movie. We didn't even see Megan Fox's tits. I don't get it. <laughs> um, and so I was entranced. I had the best time watching it and I felt really like just seen as a teenage girl who was dealing with a lot of that sexualization i mean even later that night like trying to fend off uh that boyfriend who was just being a total dick and you know after having just seen a movie that was all about this young woman's autonomy being taken away from her by men who didn't actually see her so it kind of just all came full circle um from living to viewing to processing after
0: wow i uh I did not see Jennifer's body until a little later, but I was directly in that age that the film was marketed marketed towards. I think I'm a little younger because it was 2008, 2009. You said
1: 2009, yeah.
0: 2009. I would have. I would have been. I believe I was a sophomore in high school. So okay, yeah,
1: yeah. I would have been right in there.
0: But I didn't see it right away because at the at that time I was I didn't. I wasn't a, a horror fan yet. I was still growing into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I saw a few years later while I was in college because one of my good friends, she was like, you haven't seen Jennifer's body. I was like, no, she's like, uh, you have to see it. You like horror. And I'm like, okay. And <laughs> I remember, I remember the first time I saw it. Cause it was in like a, a tiny college dorm on a tiny TV. Yes. Um with That's probably like, the
1: best way to watch any movie, honestly.
0: It's true. <laughs> With five or six uh, of my marching band friends. And uh I I I remember I liked it, but I didn't get it. Yeah. Like, um, and that could be me being a straight dude in college, but um now that I like I like to think I'm a little bit wiser, but I <laughs> I just you know, I have more friends and a more diverse group of friends who teach me. A lot of things and I'm just like oh this movie's actually brilliant I I get it
1: (laughs) yes well and it's I I love talking to people who didn't get it but still appreciated it so do you mind like can I ask you a few questions like what sure about it when you were watching it what worked for you and what didn't
0: well I thought it was funny yeah um because it's uh Diablo Cody and she is just great with the one-liners and the quips and (laughs) I'm I always think of I think it's in the director's cut or the extended cut or whatever it is where the parent of I think one of the football players he he's like yelling something like and I'm gonna hang you by your balls or something like that but it's Patrick Starr's voice yes so (laughs) I just will
1: beat your balls
0: Thank you. (laughs) And I always (laughs) think of that part. And it makes me laugh every time I think of it. And I think I think the performances were great. I think it it was Amanda Seyfried, like as she was still a rising star. Yeah, she was just
1: coming off. She was still coming off of Mean Girls like she had done, I think, Dear John right before this. So she was trying really hard to dig herself out. And I think this did the job really well.
0: Right, because it was before, like, she started doing Oscar movies, like Les Mis and stuff, but I knew who Megan Fox was at the time, obviously, but I was like, she's really good in this, like, why isn't she in more movies?
1: Right, well, and so I think um, after the Transformers fiasco, everyone really, especially in in 2009, in the aughts, like, people fucking hated women, Um, Especially young hot women like Megan Fox, who didn't give people the satisfaction of being bubbly or agreeable or, you know, anything like that. She was the mean hot girl. And when Michael Bay shat on her, like, she kind of ended up getting shit on by everybody else. Um, And it was really disappointing. But she also kind of was fell victim to that narrative of well, she doesn't even know how to act. She's not even a good actress. When in reality, um, it's that really subtle, kind of just throwing it away acting where less is more. And I think in this movie, it really plays to that for her. which It really works to her advantage. And it in other roles for Megan Fox, it doesn't necessarily translate. But this really, I think, just for me, this is Megan Fox. This is Megan Fox at her best. This is what I want to see from her. For ever and always she can do the shit out of a horror movie.
0: Yeah, and I think a big a big difference maker is Megan Fox got to work with a director who knew how to work with her, who knew yes. how to ele- um not elevate her cuz I think she's just great, but like how to play to her strengths where um cuz Karen Kusama, right?
1: Yes. Oh, the okay, goat.
0: Cool. <laughs> I um I didn't have that my notes and I just did it off of my brain I was like oh my god I'm second guessing myself congratulations but, <laughs> but like and I don't want to bash other filmmakers but like I don't think Michael Bay is the type of director who necessarily cares or not necessarily not cares but like he's not going to play to an actor's strengths I don't think he's concerned yeah. with other things of the film
1: yeah he has a vision and he wants you to stick to it Um, And I I think we're seeing more directors and more producers who do want to play more to actors' strengths because you're seeing more interviews about, you know, how things are more relaxed with certain directors. Um, Things aren't as, I guess, fraught, um, and it's really interesting to see because I do think the results speak for themselves, like in this movie. Um, you get something really multidimensional and brilliant, not just in story, but in performance.
0: And it's not just Megan Fox either. It's Amanda Seafried. It's, even though it's a smaller role, it's uh, Kyle Gullner.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Like, it just, <laughs> there's not a single face in this movie that doesn't give it, like, doesn't add to the movie. I don't know that there was... Even a second in this movie wasted, or that wasn't made better by the actors in it. You're you're so right.
0: And it's like I I might say something a little bit controversial because for some reason a lot of people hate him now. But mm-hmm. um Chris Pratt's in the movie, and like even though he's in it for two se- uh, two seconds, it's like that's uh, Karen Kusama knows how to use Chris Pratt.
1: Yeah, I I mean. Absolutely. I think, you know, I'm not a huge Chris Pratt fan, but if we're talking about playing to an actor's strengths, Karen Kusama knew immediately what Chris Pratt was about and definitely sought to play to those.
0: Right. And I I think some of the distaste towards him, just talking movies, Mm -hmm. is he's in a bunch of all action, like a bunch of action movies, and they're kind of dry. For me, he works best as the. Star Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, but James mm-hmm. Gunn is another actor, or not actor, director who knows how to play to an actor's strengths.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It really. I mean, we put a lot of pressure on actors, but much like raising tiny children, it takes a village to to yeah. create a
0: beautiful movie. And and it's like for me, I if you see a bad performance from an actor, I would look at the director first
1: yeah exactly and that's uh that's typically my first thought um when I see a performance from an actor I really love that kind of falls short or feels a little flat I definitely want to take a second look at either the director um or the writers and if they end up being the same person it kind of is just like a well there you go
0: (laughs) and then if it's uh, um and then for for the opposite too if it's someone where you're like uh i'm not really a big fan but then it's like they deliver a performance and you're blown away by it it's like yes who figured out how to you know
1: yeah who cracked that, that kind
0: of <laughs> yeah because at the end of the day the actors are doing the job that directors t- tell them
1: yeah you're you're exactly right
0: and i think karen kusama among many things knows how to work with actors
1: Definitely. Well, and you know, this movie put Karen Kusama on my map uh, for the first time. And uh, I don't know that you could take another director and take two pieces that they've created and say, these are definitely, they're so different, but they're in the same universe. So like Karen Kusama's Jennifer's Body versus um, Yellow Jackets. I am convinced those two are in the same universe (laughs) and that there is a succubus out there (laughs) in the woods (laughs) in Yellow Jackets.
0: So talk to me a little bit about Yellow Jackets because I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I've never seen it.
1: Oh, Austin buckle up. So (laughs) Yellow Jackets, (laughs) it is a series on Showtime. It is about this soccer team who is to be traveling via plane to I think it's like um, nationals or something Um, but of course they're playing crashes onto an island where they are stranded for what I believe is 18 months before they're rescued and in that time like they are not only battling the elements there is something really spooky happening they are low on food and cannibalism is referenced several times but Season two is coming um, and we're going to learn more about what the actual fallout involved. It might be cults. I'm excited.
0: Oh, that I need, I need to make sure I have showtime. And if I don't, I need to get it (laughs) because that sounds (laughs) really cool. I know because all I know about it was a lot of people were really digging it. And I'm pretty sure the actress who plays Mindy in the new scream. Yes. Pretty sure she's in it. She is. And she's,
1: absolutely phenomenal. The, every That's another thing. Karen Kusama is behind all of this. Every person on Yellow Jack, Jackets knocks it out of the park because the writing's perfect. Karen Kusama knows what she's doing. And it's just, it, yeah, it, it's perfect all around.
0: That's awesome. I, I definitely have to put, uh, put it higher on my list because it is on my list, but I'm like, okay, that's got to bump up. <laughs> <laughs> so with uh, Jennifer's Body, were you? I'm I'm interested. Were you aware of the the concept of the succubus beforehand?
1: I was, and this is gonna sound really silly, but <laughs> I was aware of it from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie.
0: Um, <gasps> With Sean Connery,
1: yes. Um, because oh God, while childhood. Nina Harker, yeah, right, <laughs> while <laughs> Nina Harker in that movie is a vampire, I believe it was referenced that she was also a succubus or like something like that and th- maybe that's not it and that was just the first thing that came to mind but yes i was generally aware of what succubi were and i was very intrigued by them
0: i think jennifer's body is the first time it got brought to my attention even though i s- seen league for extraordinary gentlemen it, it just probably just went over my head <laughs> to be perfectly honest but that,
1: that would make sense there was so much going on in League legal the extraordinary gentlemen like i i don't I haven't watched that movie probably since high school. And I, I don't know. I don't want to ruin the beautiful memory I have of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of stay away for the same reason because I really enjoyed that movie growing up, but then I'm like, do I really want to revisit it? It it is the film that made Sean Connery retire. Like for good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Oh gosh, yeah, uh, I'm just gonna let it stay lovingly in the past for now.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, speaking of things I didn't think we'd talk about today, throwback to League for uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which, okay, quick tangent, real quick. You remember the Hugh Jackman, Kate Beckinsale movie, Van Helsing? Oh,
1: my God. I love that movie. I That's another one I haven't seen, though, in eons.
0: That one I watched kind of recently. And for me, it, it holds up.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, I just think it helps that everybody in that movie is hot. Um, That goes yeah. a long way for me.
0: Even the werewolves. Yes. <laughs> They're fucking jacked.
1: <laughs> it's like... Um I'm sorry true blood you just totally knocked off Van Helsing.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah my brain just puts them together and I don't really know I think it's because they're like both 2003 2004 like post matrix monster movies. Yes. That well, are action you know, movies?
1: <laughs> yes, I think that's a perfect that's very right, because it's also around the time when Hellboy was really popular. Yeah. And those sort of, like, all of the lighting was really similar, really brightly lit. Um,
0: and Underworld. More
1: cooler. Yes. And Underworld. Yes, Kate Beckinsale owned those movies. Um, oh, yeah. Like, between Van Helsing and um, Underworld, like, she she really just had it in the bag.
0: So my brain is not wrong for put lumping those two together. <laughs>
1: Not at I'll, all. Well, and honestly, we need yeah. a beck and as zance, a Kate Beckinsale Renaissance.
0: I am all for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Especially as a vampire. We need her as a vampire.
0: Oh yeah. I I, I hope she'll she'll do that because she, she might be like, oh, I've done it before. And it's like, it's like I, and it works. I get it. <laughs> I respect it, but we need you back. <laughs> if uh If Tom Cruise can play the same Mission Impossible role. uh,
1: Oh my God. And Kate Beckinsale looks so much better than Tom Cruise. Like she could do it in a heartbeat.
0: And they're both real life vampires because they don't age. (laughs) They don't age. (laughs) That's exactly right. A Tom Cruise, Kate Beckinsale vampire movie with Nicolas Cage, that'd be kind of epic.
1: That would be pretty fucking epic. I would love, (laughs) love, love, love to see Tom Cruise in Lestat makeup again, Ooh. because I know how much he fucking hated that, and I just, you know, <laughs> I I like to poke the bear.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna give a because we're talking about Tom Cruise. I just have to give a quick shout out to Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. It has no place in this conversation. I just really like that movie, and you know what? It I'm does really have a place mentioned. in this conversation. It's mid 2000s monster movie. So
1: boom, it fits. It's just
0: so aesthetically different from the other ones
1: <laughs> it really is and i think it's the uh i guess the alien aspect of it um yeah because we really don't that's one thing we don't see consistently throughout the fads and the phases of monsters throughout the years we didn't really have a consistent alien phase
0: no. you know we I think have the closest like the alien we got movies, is the like, 80s
1: yeah yes well yeah you're totally right the 80s were really like the alien age
0: because i would say from alien to predator yes, like 79 through 87 and and i'm there are obviously more than like after and before but that's what no i'd say 78 because invasion of the body snatchers belongs in yeah. this realm i love that but good yeah
1: call austin that was good. <laughs>
0: I love my aliens, so... Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... How can I bring this back to Jennifer's body without relying on alien again? <laughs> if I could think of wow. a connection between predator and...
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh, you totally should. Okay, but, okay, this is the connection I can make. All right, yours first. Unfortunately, unfortunately I, I just can't with alien. Um, We've already yeah. made that connection. <laughs> predator... <laughs> I, I guess because Jennifer Check is a predator, um, that's, that's good, I suppose. I, I like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but also, you know, we were talking about uh, Tom Cruise and Kate Beckinsale as vampires. Kate Beckinsale played a vampire herself. Um, and then Megan Fox played a vampire in a recent movie with Sydney Sweeney. And what was that called?
0: I'm going to find it.
1: Yeah, you are. Megan.
0: you said sydney sweeney yes night teeth
1: yes that one.
0: Oh, that's this looks cool
1: i would recommend it it's a fun like late night watch i feel like if sydney sweeney and megan fox weren't in it it would be on like ifc midnight or something
0: okay yeah because i'm just learning about this right now yeah this is definitely going on the watch list
1: yeah enjoy it
0: oh i will i will for sure <laughs> i did think of a uh connection between, another connection between Predator and Jennifer's Body. It might be a bit of a stretch. (laughs) But both of these films, um, both of these films are like subversions of audience expectations, kind of, right? Because Jennifer's Body, like you said, was like marketed to teenage boys. And you think it's going to be like this, this kind of slasher filled with tits and gore. And it's much more subversive than that. It's much more clever, you know? Yeah. And uh Predator, you if you don't know the twist of I mean everyone knows the twist of the alien hunter, but I don't think that was really advertised as a time. You go in thinking it's just another Arnold shoot 'em up with the boys, but no, it's a slasher movie.
1: It really is. That's such a great point. That makes me want to watch <laughs> Predator again.
0: <laughs> I that is like one of my all-time favorite movies comfort movies i love predator but uh yeah there's our connection we're we we're gonna make the jennifer's body alien movie we're gonna it's gonna happen
1: yes please (laughs) i'm so excited
0: but um with uh getting back truly to jennifer's body i was interested in what your thoughts on the relationship between jennifer check and amanda seyfried's character who i'm forgetting her name
1: uh needy lesnicki
0: I was gonna say Tilly, and I was like, I don't think that's it. I don't think anyone's name is Tilly. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> I love it though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, needy.
1: Yes. So their relationship is yeah. really similar to a lot of teenage girls' relationships, or or very feminine or intellectually connected sisterly love is concerned. I mean, I know that was a lot of adjectives to describe friendship, <laughs> but I think for you know, we see these two girls um in the sandbox, literally in a sandbox as as young uh children, and their bond is so intense um because they get each other. I mean, they're doing being girls, um, the really hard thing together and they really have this codependent relationship where they're getting each other's needs from the other without really putting a name to what those needs are Um, so it's very emotionally charged it's very intimate um, and very close and that's pretty similar to what it feels like to be in in a friendship as a teenage girl or you know as a a woman who (laughs) doesn't Really know how to have relationships or what relationships should look like. I mean, we see Needy um, with her boyfriend Chip, who is absolutely adorable, and he worships Mm -hmm. her, but she isn't nearly as interested in her relationship with him as she is in Jennifer and their friendship and whatever is going on with Jennifer. And it's just so interesting and cathartic to watch as the friendship kind of implodes with this one traumatic event um, and what it does to Jennifer and you know her nerdy and this isn't said in a in a derogatory way her nerdy goody two-shoes best friend is trying to help her through this awful time in Jennifer's life and honestly Jennifer feels alone um, and feels like she can't open up to media about these things and that's where the relationship falls apart. It's not necessarily because Jennifer becomes a monster. It's because they're growing. They're, they've they changed. And it's very similar to childhood friendships that eventually you realize you're two different people and things don't stay the same. So it's, it's a really intense relationship. It's very believable. And I think, you know, if we're going to bring up mean girls for the second time in this episode (laughs) it's very girl world and I think both Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama did a beautiful job of translating that intense girl world feeling to this bloody romp
0: for sure and I fucking love mean girls I just have to say (laughs) but as someone who grew up a teenage boy, I cannot relate. <laughs> I can only watch. So a lot of stuff goes over my head, especially on a first watch. Cause on a first watch, I'm like, yay, monster, yay, blood, you know, <laughs> yay, funny. And I can enjoy it on that superficial level. But then on it takes me a couple rewatches to be like, oh, wait, themes. Like, yeah. there's real shit in here. And that's what I love about the horror genre, is you can enjoy it for like monsters, but then there's so many layers you can dig into underneath where there's true meaning, there's true subtext that is about real shit.
1: Yes. Well, and you know, much like this movie horror as a whole is a fucking buffet. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can take what you like from it, but there's always going to be more waiting for you to uh, discover. And that's, I I just absolutely love Jennifer's body um because of that I mean I have watched this movie over and over and over again since 2009 and every so often I take something different from it or you know a little piece of my experience suddenly makes sense because I've seen it or can kind of relay it to what I've seen in this movie It's just movies are magic
0: <laughs> they really they really are the last time I watched Jennifer's body it made me kind of sad actually because because um my reading this last time i was like i'm watching the movie i'm like it feels like and i think this is the same for mean girls it has a lot to say on like how life and society kind of forces girls to be in competition with each other especially at that young of age where men are judging them solely on how they look um how popular they are you know and uh, all those feelings are extrapolated when you're a teenager, and everything is much more intense, especially emotionally. And I just re- remember thinking, like, "Damn!" Like, yeah, <laughs> that shit's well, it's heavy. You-
1: yeah, it it is so heavy, and and it's uh it's almost funny because when you watch this, at first blush. It's hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious. It seems like it's satire. It's just these dumb kids like getting eaten, and it's all because this dumb woman or dumb girl is eating them. And it's and it's uh, so much fun. But what is really happening is we're seeing society is watching itself basically through this movie and what it does. I you know you talk about girls learning to compete against each other. I'm just thinking about whenever Jennifer tells needy to wear something cute to melody lane and so we see this montage of needy like trying on all different clothes and the voiceover says like i'm allowed to show my stomach because tits are jen's trademark and so i and i remember that so vividly just the trade-offs that women feel like they have to make so that they can be quote unquote different and catch and it's all because, you know, we're trained to try and catch a male eye. And it's absolutely horrifying. And, you know, if you watch this movie, I mean, look at the results of it. Look at what comes from it. I mean, you're basically pigs to the slaughter. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm really glad you you took that away from it. Because it's just another layer to this awesome uh, just look at how women are treated.
0: Well, the line that really made me think of it and... Uh, forgive me if I butcher butcher it, <laughs> but um, Jennifer is, it's in the final climate, like the climactic battle, and um, Jennifer's floating over the pool, and I think it's Kyle Garner's character who's just like, oh my god, she's flying, and <laughs> Needy's just like, no, she's just floating, <laughs> and Jennifer's it's not that just impressive, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why do you have to undermine everything I do? <laughs> And I feel, <laughs> I feel so bad, even though she's, you know, a literal demonic presence. <laughs> I still feel bad because it's like, oh, y- you are flying.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even in those moments, like w- women are told, like, you have to undercut the other woman when a man compliments her. Like, it's, we're, we're, <laughs> men don't have to neg women. Women neg themselves. <laughs> we're already self policing.
0: And it's like, and the, the humor comes from this is a life and death situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a beautiful thing about horror and horror comedies is it's such a it's a genre that allows you to play with such fantastical elements to illustrate real ideas.
1: Yes. Well, and Diablo Cody's writing is masterful because of how well we are mingling the horror, and the real-life elements with just these perfectly placed splashes of uh, comedy. And while a lot of those comedic moments haven't aged particularly well, they are still pretty representative of the callousness and just how dark high schoolers are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of, like... So you mentioned not all of the jokes kind of age well, and that goes with every comedy. Mm-hmm. I'm interested because at the time it did not do well at the box office. I think it was considered a flop, but yeah. it's kind of gotten this rena- cultural renaissance, or at least cult cult classic renaissance. It's huge in the horror community now. And I was just interested in to seeing why you think that is.
1: Uh, I think... As we've collectively more, or I guess, embraced what <laughs> what has kind of become known as feminism. You know, between the Me Too era, between I guess you know same sex marriage, between all of the big cultural shifts that have happened since two thousand nine, which have happened in a hurry, <laughs> all of these things kind of contributed to more of a self-awareness and more of an open-mindedness and trying to shy away from the shock value in what was so crucial to comedy in the aughts. You know, in this year, I think it was like two years before in 2007, Step Brothers came out. Um, So you're looking for that shock factor, those one-liners that are really biting and are mostly just to knock the viewer off their feet but really since um jennifer's body has come out while those i guess um, awful (laughs) jokes (laughs) are still pretty well isolated in that time period we have learned that the message beyond that writing is somewhat universal um i think we've all kind of woken up and realized the pressures that we're all under, not just teenage girls, not just, you know, people in the LGBTQ community, but anyone that this patriarchy or this harmful rhetoric of treating people like things, we've really woken up to it. And we've been able to better connect with this writing and the overall themes of this movie better. And I think that's why people not necessarily like it more now but I think more people are less shy about admitting that they like it now
0: oh for sure I oh, don't know I think that what you said was brilliant I think Jennifer's body kind of has this unique placement in horror history where it feels like a time capsule that was mm-hmm. ahead of its time if that makes sense
1: I think I get what you mean because it was a few years after this came out that people started coming back around to it and it had a huge Tumblr awakening. Like it was very okay. popular like around the time when people were very into Tumblr and it was all the aesthetic and everything. And I think that's kind of where it crept back into, I guess, the mainstream consciousness and and where it became more popular. But you're totally right. It is a time capsule of this era of, what the fuck. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think at least the last time I watched it, I think it's very observant and also present prescient. Oh my god, I think that's a word. Anyways, yeah. uh <laughs> of how communities deal with tragedies.
1: Yes, that's a great takeaway from this. How did how do you feel about the way the town's grief was
0: depicted? Well, I mean, it's Hard to watch, but at the same time, when you think about it, it's like I don't think there's a lie either. Yeah. It might be a bit exaggerated, but there there is truth to that, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's um, I mean, if we want a real life example, let's look at COVID. So, you know, when COVID hit, there were so many people who took it very seriously and made it their personal mission to avoid it and help others avoid it and, you know, did all the things. There was also a huge group of people who said it wasn't happening um, and went about their lives. So like in this movie, you know, there's this huge panic following these murders and nobody wants to let their kids outside or anything like that. But at the end of the movie, there's a school dance anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's so weird. And, you know, you also have these glimpses of how grief is very personal, but it can also be performative, especially in these public instances, like at that funeral um, where the children were throwing themselves on Kyle Gallner's grave and saying like, oh, take me with you into the darkness. And Kyle Garner's mother, you know, is like he's not in the darkness. He's not in some. Nether realm with the Dark Lord or anything like that. He's in an overpriced cedar wood box, six feet downtown, and I have the monopoly on pain. So you can shove it up your ass. Like that was <laughs> incredible. Just yeah. an amazing perspective setting scene. And I think you're right. it I mean, it was such a great mirror to hold up once again to society and how they handle tragedy.
0: The thing that really pointed it out to me was, the use of I forget the name but the song that Adam Brody's band play it's like something through the trees or something like that that's
1: exactly right yeah oh good
0: oh good and it keeps playing over and over and at one point I think it's Needy says something about it like hey this isn't really cool and someone who wasn't at the bar fire was like it's a tragedy or something it's like why are you be? why are you dismissing someone who is there
1: (laughs) Yeah. She's like, they weren't even there. Um, and like, t- what is it like 2% of the profits of that song are going toward, you know, something else. Right. Um, and She's like, isn't that crass? And of course the girl who like, wasn't there whips around and was like, you know, they did something really important. And she's like, how do you know that? And the girl is like, it's on the Wikipedia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and And from there, you just have that quick shot to JK Simmons, who is also like, fucking J.K. Simmons is in this movie and he has like, such a tiny but incredible role. What a great moment. Ugh.
0: I completely forgot about J.K. Simmons in this, right? where he is like the thing I remember about most other movies.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, And uh, I love J.K. Simmons so much. Everything he does, even those State Farm commercials, <laughs> just blew me away.
0: In the M&M commercials, like some of oh, his line yes. readings as the yellow M&M makes me laugh.
1: He's a treasure, like an actual national treasure.
0: I have not seen the movie. Um, What's it called? Glory Hole? Glory
1: Hole? Oh, I, it's just glory. Glory. <laughs> it's about a glory okay. hole.
0: Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have not seen it yet, but I know J.K. Simmons is, it's on my list. I promise I watch <laughs> horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking about a few I haven't seen <laughs> but all that to say I really want to see a bunch of J.K. Simmons horror because I think he has one of the scariest performances in a non-horror movie um, I'm thinking of Whiplash
1: yes he's horrifying
0: and I like I want to see him do something like that but in a horror setting where you can be more stylized not that whiplash isn't stylized but like it didn't um, have
1: the freedom that horror has
0: exactly yeah. exactly
1: no i want all of that from him jk has the range he could honestly play every single character in a horror movie and do it impeccably um oh, yeah. i don't yeah i don't see that that would be i want that now who do we pitch that to
0: you know what i i think between the two of us we can find some Find some people, we'll write it together and uh, we'll yes. make it.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely, it's
0: happening. <laughs> J.K. Simmons in every role.
1: <laughs> it's a new hashtag.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's a movement. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that man has such a prolific career. I'm trying to think of if he, of other horror movies he's in, but my mind's blanking. You know, sometimes I
1: can't think of another one either.
0: Because sometimes like, I forget it's him. Yes. You know, because like you said, he has the range. Like, this isn't horror, but Sam Raimi directed these movies and he's a horror king. But his Spider-Man trilogy, where J.K. Simmons plays J. Jonah Jameson, I, I don't see J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah. And makeup he's, helps, he's but
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he um he really just does disappears into his roles. It's it's so cool to watch.
0: And uh, while we're on the tangent of horror wish list, I'm I'm just gonna speak this into the universe because my boy, uh, my boy Steve, Steven Spielberg is coming out with a new <laughs> movie. I really want him to make one more gnarly horror film.
1: Yes, yes. Just speak it out into the universe. We got this I'm manifesting.
0: Because I think if he makes one more. Then he is considered like a true horror director, yeah, because I don't <laughs> think you can argue Duel and Jaws aren't horror movies. I, I think those are both very much horror movies, and of course, he' was, produced uh, Poltergeist, which is one of my all time faves. I love Poltergeist. <laughs> but like I think there I think Jurassic Park and War of the Worlds are horror movies that are kind of on the out if horror is like a circle they're kind of close to the outside
1: I get that yeah it's like horror for normies right
0: because like I was a three-year-old when I watched Jurassic Park and that defined my entire life um (laughs) But I don't think like you would show a three-year-old Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: No, but you there's a strong possibility you might show a three-year-old uh, War of the Worlds and that might only scar them mildly.
0: Right. And uh, <laughs> my mom took me to go see War of the Worlds um, in theaters and I was 10 at the time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and it was it was pretty it was a pretty intense watch as a ten-year-old, so
1: <laughs> that's a good um, that, mom right there. Oh, uh, great,
0: mom! If you're listening, mom, thank you for taking me to see War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> that may, it may have uh, it may have defined who I am as a person as well. If I'm thinking about it, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Jennifer's body. Um, I'm not even trying to make the connection. I'm just going right to it. <laughs> Jennifer's Body, I think, is one of the all-time greats of the 2000s, especially in the horror genre. I'm glad that it's getting its uh, reappraisal, kind of like John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Another alien connection.
1: (laughs) Boom. Yes. (laughs) Great job.
0: (laughs) That one's a bit uh, less thematic, but more like on a meta level. I got to ask the titular question of the show. If you, went, if you were back in your high school days and your best friend was Jennifer Check,
1: mm-hmm. would you die? Austin, <laughs> as a queer woman, there aren't many moments in this life when I can say wholeheartedly that a woman could kill me, should kill me, and... <laughs> would be remiss not to kill me and would hurt my feelings, honestly, if she didn't. So yeah, <laughs> I would die so hard. I feel like that makeout scene with Amanda Seafried immediately, I mean, Needy has so much more, I guess, wherewithal in that moment than I would, because it's very clear, I mean, if we're going to get into this, it's very clear that Jennifer is testing the waters to see if she can also kind of win over and eat Needy. but needy resists and pushes her back and tells her to get out I would be eaten so hard immediately like that that make out scene would have gone a whole different direction
0: <laughs> as a straight dude yeah I get it <laughs> 100% she could be like hey I'm going to eat you and I'm gonna be like what a hell of a way to die <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. I am like, you know what? Thank you so much for this opportunity, exactly.
0: <laughs> if I have to go, might as well be this way. one hundred percent no so, better way exactly. there's there's no better way. So I am one hundred percent a okay with Jennifer doing her thing and uh eating me. yes <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this talk. i I, I loved it. I'm glad we were able to connect Jennifer's body to so many alien films and, <laughs> and talk about our king, J.K. Simmons. I want to give you a few minutes to kind of talk about ladies and ligaments for people sure. who might not know what that is. Yeah.
1: Sure. Okay. So Ladies and Ligaments is my podcast. It is where I bring together queer people, non-binary people, and women to talk about their experiences in the horror genre, and particularly experiences within the horror genre that are kind of overshadowed by some other themes that might not be looked at as closely. So for instance, we're talking about queer horror, we're talking about horny horror, Um, you know, much like Jennifer's Body here today. Um, horny horror is alive and well and just going full steam ahead. We, I love talking to queer people about what horror means to them because all too often we get the cis straight look at what horror means and what it looks like and all of these interpretations of films that have so many layers like we just got done talking about, but I've really only been discussed or delved into at the very surface levels. So that's really what Ladies and Ligaments is all about. It's really trying to bring people who have felt othered out of their beautiful little corners of the party to speak a little more. And it's so much fun. I have a blast doing it.
0: That's awesome. I've listened to a few episodes and they're so fun and insightful. I recommend everyone listen to uh, Ladies and Ligaments because it, it's really, really good. And what else is going on? That's not how I want to say it. Um, <laughs> and because uh, you got so much, you got so much that you do because you work for Hear a Scream and Fangoria. Is there anything else we can look forward to?
1: Well, we just had the January cover for the next Fangoria issue Um announced. It is so beautiful. It is all about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, I believe. Um, And the cover is all bisexual colors. It is my dream come true. I want to show it to everyone. I want to frame it. It's beautiful. But that's coming out in January, and I'm really looking forward to it. And most recently, Hear Us Scream, The Voices of Horror, Volume 2, an anthology created by four And with uh, queer people, non binary people, and women um, talking about, once again, just their experiences in horror and how they see themselves in it. It's, um, gosh, there's so much going on and it's a ton of fun. But I guess between now and spring, I'm going to be racking up as many interviews and fun topics to discuss on ladies and ligaments as possible. So I have my work cut out for me, but it's going to be a beautiful, horrifying adventure.
0: Oh, that is awesome. I can't wait to listen and to read. Where can the people find you? Should the best you want place to, be to find
1: me? <laughs> yes, should I want to be found? <laughs> the best place to do that um, is on Twitter. My handle is Black. I had the best experience with someone one time who only knew me by my handle and they saw me in real life and they were like, oh, Hagen. And I was like, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was yeah my name's blaine but my handle is black on twitter uh, and that's the best place to find me and all my terrible jokes
0: <laughs> that is awesome thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for talking jennifer's body with me i had such a blast thank you
1: thank you austin this is the best time
0: thank you for listening to today's episode thanks again to blaine for following me through the trees to talk about jennifer's body definitely check out all of her work she is doing awesome things for the horror genre on this segment of i know what you watched last week in which i tell you about the horror films i watched since the last episode horror rewatches included prey which was the family thanksgiving movie picked by yours truly and i caught a godzilla marathon over the weekend so i got to rewatch godzilla vs. megalon and destroy all monsters for the first time in years that was a blast Now, this isn't a horror film by any means, but I finally saw Steven Spielberg's new film, The Fablemans, which I absolutely adored. I think I make it pretty obvious on this show that Steven Spielberg is my favorite filmmaker of all time, and I was just in awe of the master yet again. The thing that struck me the most was the fact that he's able to tell a really personal and sometimes raw story with the shine and cinematic perfection that you expect from Steven Spielberg. We had to drive 40 minutes to see it since it wasn't in many theaters but it was absolutely worth it finally the big watch of the week is shutter's new exclusive film blood relatives written directed by and starring noah segan he plays a vampire who finds out he has a daughter and the film follows the misadventures that follows it's funny and heartfelt and for me it was kind of like uh let the right one in meets ladybird I hope that makes sense, but I really enjoyed this one, and I think it's for sure worth checking out. If you're enjoying the Would You Die podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. If you want to help support the podcast financially, I do have a Buy Me a Coffee page. I'll put the link in the episode description, but it is buymeacoffee.com slash show. If you choose to donate a dollar, say something nice, you'll just make my day. And if not, no worries, but any little bit will help this podcast in a big way. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. You can also follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast and Hive at Would You Die Pod. If you want my unfiltered movie thoughts, follow me at letterboxed at AU. You can also find the Would You Die YouTube Show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week on the Would You Die podcast, we're going back to the 2000s to discuss a franchise that absolutely more people need to know because these films are bonkers. Until the next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.